0: Um, hi, welcome to the History of Rosie Roaring 20s podcast. Today I'm joined by Rebecca, aka Tudor Ghost Murray, on Instagram. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. Um, so today we're going to be talking about all things gangsters, prohibition, crime uh, in the 1920s. So it's a pretty exciting one. Um, so I thought we'd start with talking about the prohibition because this is what led to gangsters and speakeasies and crime in the 20s in America. Um, So, yeah, what was prohibition and, like, how did it lead to, like, gangsters and how did they, like, make their money off basically what was a government policy?
1: Right, so... Prohibition was a law enacted that stopped the sale of alcohol throughout America and it was between 17th of January 1920 and the 5th of December 1933. Now it's often linked to immigration and I say that because There were 20 million immigrants that arrived in the U.S. between 1888 and 1920. And the 18th amendment to ban the transport and manufacture and sale of intoxicating liquor actually failed at first in 1914. But they won this amendment going through um, at the start of 1920 so it's really the start of lots of illicit activity to provide the good American public with their said booze and lots of illegal activity happened and larger than life characters such as Al Capone and Cor actually started to become very important and very powerful and had lots of police and um politicians in their pocket so there was lots and lots of um it was really the start of gangsters and their their kind of prominence during this period
0: yeah i think i read somewhere that al Capone uh during the 20s was making between 60 to 85 million pounds uh dollars per year which is just an insane amount of money um, just from like running his speakeasies and um, getting alcohol to people. So um, it was definitely a lucrative business um, at the time. Um, And obviously it was illegal to sell alcohol. So I think it is what led to this kind of, I think we have this image of like a gangster in the 20s that's all like, Just likes a drink and is really like chilled. But actually, I think it was a lot more violent and horrible at the time. But we just seen it in this really cool light.
1: (laughs) Well, they they didn't just have the bootlegging, which was the um, the illegal sort of sale and manufacture of alcohol. They also had their fingers in lots of illegal pies. Um, such as prostitution and protection rackets, where they basically um they basically go into a bar and and offer to not smash the place up if they provided um the the local mafia with some some ready cash um so that was one of the many um areas of uh lucrative trade from them um they also got into um slot machines which I found quite odd. the slot machines were illegal as well That's and strange <laughs> um, so the slot machines one of um one of the the kind of gangsters called uh, Toucci I think he was called um he had... A slot machine racket in 1926 and he was making around a million pounds a year out of the slot machines which is about 14
0: million dollars today that's an insane amount of money on something that you just wouldn't even consider no. <laughs> could make that much that's just mad um, but yeah I think There was because in America, obviously, prohibition was a very also very religious thing because obviously America has, I think they've always been a lot more religious than other countries in terms of their Christianity and the Protestants and the Puritans and the Catholics and I think that's probably why slot machines were banned because gambling was a sin and like alcohol's banned because it's a sin and I think. They really did run the country at that time. Um, well, they seemingly ran the country. I think really the gangsters were the one, ones running it behind the scenes. But I think that was um, a lot of things weren't allowed in America during the 20s.
1: Yeah, it, was, um, it, it stemmed a great deal from the sort of the white, middle class Protestant people. And particularly women. It was a a women's movement against alcohol as well at the time. So the the Indiana Temperance Women's Movement um, blamed a lot of the immigrants that were coming to to America for the the problems, for all the crimes that were being committed. Um, And they got a lot of people on board with that idea that it was to blame other people for the problems there's a lot of working class um immigrants came over to the states and they were of irish and italian descent and i'm an irish descendant myself and we like a drink we do <laughs> like a drink or two and it was it was blamed on the the immigrants for their kind of their the desire to have a, a drink or two after a working
0: day yeah i saw like um a statistic that was it said uh by early 19th century um heavy drinking was the norm especially amongst american men because before uh prohibition came in i think it was only men that was allowed in the bars and um like clubs and stuff like that so actually when prohibition happened it actually caused a change that women were actually allowed in clubs but I read that um the average adult male in America had 7 to 12 gallons of alcohol per year I don't know what gallons are but it sounds like a lot
1: <laughs> gallon is seven pints I think so it's it's quite a lot
0: <laughs> yeah so um, I think like there was probably there probably was a problem and maybe it did come from you know, the Irish and their love of drinking, or maybe it was just America. Like, there's no way of proving who was drinking the most out of all of them. So I think it was a very easy thing to blame the immigrants, um, as does everyone in any situation. Um, But it's just interesting. um, When I was kind of reading about did Prohibition lead to an increase in crime and it did say that like uh kind of like domestic abuse and like um child abuse and stuff did decrease because of prohibition which was positive but then also a massive criminal underworld came out of it
1: yeah it it opened up um like you said the, the underbelly of um of crime and it did lead to an increase of uh, the likes of Al Capone, Scarface himself <laughs> and his, um, his prominence in, uh, in the underworld and, and some of his delightful-sounding fellow um, gangsters with beautiful names like The Killer and um, Machine Gun Kelly, <laughs> you know, some nice neighbourly kind of boys they sound like um who i think they all kind of had fingers in pies of lots of the protection rackets and gambling and some would go on to do quite well for themselves like um like booksy Siegel would go on to create the vegas strip Um, you know in in the 30s after the depression had had towards the end of the depression and he started
0: to uh, create what we now know as Vegas that's quite interesting really when you think that they were once criminals and then obviously once that amendment got repealed they weren't actually doing anything wrong so they were well within their rights to go and set up some new stuff but then the money they were using from it was probably from the criminal days so it's a bit of a like you know it's not great but also i suppose once it's not illegal they can do whatever they want
1: yeah so there's there's lots and lots of um various crimes that they are involved with um because they would, they would bring the alcohol in and then water it down essentially to make it go further, so that they could sell, sell a watered down version of the gin, and the the, the other spirits at a much uh, more lucrative price.
0: Yeah, I read that um, actually. So, like, we have mixers now, like, putting, like, cola or, like, um, like mint or lemon and stuff um, and fruit juices in drinks. And this was actually, like, um, a product of the American 1920s speakeasies, because if the gin wasn't watered down, then it tasted disgusting. Or even if it was watered down, it was just very, it was a lot stronger than what you would get pre-prohibition in terms of like gin and um, whiskey so they actually started adding like juices and stuff so we kind of get cocktails and mixers from this era which I just found really interesting because I thought what were they were they just drinking straight gin before like (laughs) did no one try that before this time I think
1: also because people weren't allowed to go out to the shops and buy um, gin, they weren't allowed to go into the bars anymore during prohibition, legally. Um, there was bathtub gin, which is homemade punch, basically, homemade brew, and the the hooch, as it was called, would blow your mouth off. So it, it re- was really rough alcohol. <laughs> so yeah. I think the, the adding of fruit juices and other mixes would actually make it taste palatable, so you could actually drink it as well.
0: Yeah, um, definitely. As,
1: as well as, goodness knows, what they were mixing with the gin to water it down. It wasn't necessarily tasty, <laughs> what yeah. was what was left at the end.
0: Yeah, i read, like, they put, like, chemicals in the gin, they put, like, um, really, like, horrible stuff, and actually, like, thousands of people did die because they, like, there's no regulation on what they're putting inside these drinks, so they're just creating it to make a profit. So they don't care. It's not like today where you can read the back of a bottle and be like, oh, that doesn't sound great. Like, this was (laughs) literally just unregulated and lots of people did die from it, so I suppose, like, that's another bad side effect of the prohibition.
1: Well, yeah, because people were trying to make their their favourite beverages at home, and, yeah, it's, it's what led to us having cocktails today, because it obviously would taste much nicer with a little bit of apple juice or orange juice thrown
0: in to make it taste like it wasn't brewed in a bathtub <laughs> I feel like bathtub gin is like you know like speakeasies and stuff is like a really popular trendy bar now whereas you definitely wouldn't have wanted to drink the 1920s bathtub gin like no no way
1: they also started to sell um blocks of concentrated grape juice like literally like a big block of dried grapes and because they weren't allowed to make wine and sell wine the, the dried grapes in a block was perfectly legal but it did have a warning on it it's do not do not ferment with water And under no circumstances leave in a jug um, in a warm place for 20 days. Otherwise, it will turn into wine. (laughs) And they got away with this, selling blocks of this fermented grape, dried grape blocks, um, which I thought was ingenious that they, they did this.
0: Yeah I like that I like the idea of that just being like oh well don't do this but like you know that everyone is only buying it to do that like they just great marketing there. It is absolutely. Um, A kind of um, view of the um, prohibition like how 1920s were but like what was the kind of culture in the speakeasies so like obviously we've got this image of like flapper girls and stuff is this like where is the speakeasies where this image of kind of the roaring 20s did come from
1: yeah because it was um, it was often the the class boundaries would be broken down in the speakeasies and this new music of jazz um, was was the fashion, and it really was this breaking away from the, the strict rigidity of the, the First World War. It's everyone just got through that just as quickly as before, so I think it was this new feeling of life being kind of grabbing life with both hands and being able to to party and, and to live and to, yeah, to feel alive again after being in the, the First World War. So it was a real place to let your hair down and women had shorter hair for the first time and it wasn't that um, very loose and clothing and it was, it was totally different to the years that had went before that. So I think it was more of a, not lawless, but more of a, a free and easy kind of place to be, a fun place to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I also saw that, um, like, dating was created um, in the American 1920s because... Um, it's like the first time that young people, like especially young single people, could go out without their parents. I mean, previous it was kind of like you had to be with a, a chaperone and someone had to like make sure that you weren't being indecent and um stuff like that. Whereas like during this time, like young people did go out on their own and they dated and it was a lot more free than what had come before and obviously like that's progressed throughout the years to what life is like now but it definitely started because they just wanted to escape from their parents and go to a club
1: yeah it was um the invention of a teenager is a long way off yet but it was a culture that was um kind of a sort of enjoyed by the younger people. You think of the great Gatsby and, you know, the beautiful 20-somethings who are going out away from the parents for the first time and sipping cocktails and dancing to jazz. And it, it really, it does conjure up that sort of world of Fitzgerald and it, I think, it, yeah, it, it really does, Make you think of this freedom,
0: and that's what it was for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely, and I think um, it was like it was just basically one big party. Um, I mean, obviously there was its bad points, um, but it's it had its good points for a lot of people, and I think if you did, if you were just a regular user of the speakeasies and you were going out partying and making friends I don't think you necessarily came to any harm and it was just a fun experience whereas I think if you were involved in providing the illegal alcohol and stuff like that I think then probably it was a dangerous time but I think for the regular person on the street that just wanted a drink I think it was actually a good thing in a way
1: Everybody, regardless of class, was involved in the drinking of illegal booze, whichever level of society, because we're still in a, a sort of structured society, we're still the, the, the rich people who can afford to have their own booze in the house, um, because it wasn't illegal to have your own drink, you were allowed to have your own drink. That you'd bought before prohibition in your house for your own consumption, um, but you weren't allowed to buy it or manufacture it. But the ordinary people would have to frequent the speakeasies in order to get a drink, because they obviously couldn't unless they bought their block of of dried grapes <laughs> <laughs> to do at home. They um, or the bathtub gin um to get a sort of proper drink to have a pub kind of atmosphere you would need to go to a putter to a speakeasy and you could rub shoulders with a lot of different kinds of people in there so there was no kind of social restrictions so to speak although the Gatsby's of the world would, would have their own drink at home no doubt
0: yeah, I was gonna say like I think mm. people that would have their drinks at home are the ones that were able to buy up a load of drink before Prohibition came in. Um yeah. whereas like your average American probably wouldn't have probably wouldn't even have had alcohol at home, most likely, because it's yeah. just more expensive to buy a bottle than it is to buy a drink uh in one of the like saloons or whatever that were about before Prohibition. So I think it was definitely like a a very rich person's thing to be able to drink at home yeah. um but it's just it's just so interesting to think like how they how people that didn't go to speakeasies and stuff socialize because I just imagine it being like 2020 where you couldn't go to a pub so what else are you going to do like yeah. what, what did they do during, like well I'm not sure of like saloons were open but just didn't serve alcohol or did they just shut completely I, I, I hadn't really got a grasp on what how, like if everything just shut down overnight kind of thing some
1: some companies that's still on the go today branched out into um, ginger beer and lemonade and root beer things like that that have no alcohol but are still a flavored drink. A lot of those companies were set up around about this time um, um, I think Schweppes and Fenomoness and people like that were were making non-alcoholic versions of their drinks that would have sold well.
0: Yeah I mean it is a I mean' it's, intelligent to branch out and make some uh, something new. Because I imagine a lot of companies that were potentially exporting worldwide at this time obviously um, probably did just pull out of America and not trade there until after the prohibition. But then obviously the problem is American-based companies selling alcohol um, didn't really have this option because they couldn't transport it from America. So I suppose they had to find another way
1: well around this time there was also restrictions on alcohol throughout the rest of the world and um, the UK started to have uh, restrictions for the length of time that pubs were open and um, even Tsar Nicholas II banned vodka in retail establishments so I think the US kind of exaggerated the successes of these closures of and restrictions to try and to convince everyone that prohibition was a good idea for them as well
0: yeah i don't think anyone else really properly bought into the prohibition kind of thing like i'm not 100 percent sure but from what i understand i don't think any other country went as far as america did um (laughs) because i mean i think america realized this as well because obviously by 1929 with the wall street crash um like the reason why prohibition was ultimately repealed was because the government weren't making any money off all this illegal activity so then by like 1933 it just made sense to bring back alcohol because the amount of tax you're losing just like now with drugs like the government aren't getting any taxes off it like America realized every other country is getting their alcohol taxes and entertainment and from businesses like pubs and stuff but America just missing out on that and when they're in the midst of a depression it's just not it's not ideal
1: no it was their fifth largest I think the fifth largest income of income tax for them um so it just it was a stupid move people were out of work and people were um not being able to pay the rents and it, it just it, i think it, it exacerbated the um the depression it made it just so much worse the fact that the pubs were shut as well and the, the production of alcohol and the factories producing these, the you know the, the people making the bottles, even it, it all had a knock-on effect.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think well, they they very quickly realised that, um, and but then the problem came with once it got to the thirties, less even though there might have been thousands of speakeasies, not all of these uh reopened into licensed um bars and pubs and stuff, um, because people just weren't as interested in going because no one had any money, so they really just lost out on all the profit of most of the twenties. Um and then when they reopened they just people just weren't as interested because it was a complete I think people liked the excitement of the the danger the of being illegal. <laughs> yeah, like if if you're going to break the law um, in a small way, I think people enjoy that. So I think the government did really mess up with uh, <laughs> getting money from them. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, and the the they made a huge amount of money out of it. the the people in the um, sort of organised organised crime. Um, Tucci, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Tucci had sold alcohol and 800 barrels of, of beer at the discounted price of $37 a barrel. And that's, that's $552 for one barrel, I
0: mean, which is a huge amount of money, isn't it? That is a lot of money. Um, and I think like a lot of like the gangsters did make a lot of money and like you said earlier about the person that set up like Vegas and stuff like that they obviously if you managed to not get caught then it was a was a good way to to live and I know like Al Capone apparently has a hidden millions somewhere I, I mean I don't know how he could have spent it or we don't really know but considering how much money he made has to be somewhere.
1: And he he actually he was public and enemy number 1, but people some some people thought of him as a bit of a Robin Hood character as well because he did give a lot to charity. He was quite worried about his his reputation and the way people viewed him, so he started to give to charity as well and set up soup kitchens during the depression and and fed countless thousands um on his own money which which sounds very good but also he did a lot of very scary things
0: yeah as i well. think i think like from like what i've seen like he was actually seen as a good guy and people liked him and he was doing really good things for chicago mm. and but then i think when it came to 1929 and there was the um St Valentine's massacre
1: yeah and
0: that kind of thing just really brought his his reputation down and people this was kind of when the depression hit and people really did see him as a bad person after that but he did well to last nearly 10 years without even without people really batting an eyelid about what he was doing
1: and he did die of natural causes well Sort
0: of, <laughs> yeah. Later cause, on, he did.
1: Because
0: you know. he was um, later on imprisoned in Alcatraz, wasn't he? Um, yeah. And well, I can't imagine that it would be nice being there. But um, he, yeah, he wasn't like killed in a massive shootout or anything like that. Like a lot of other gangsters were. Um, he went quite peacefully in a way. And famously jailed for
1: tax evasion.
0: Yeah, they couldn't get him. Yeah, I think too many people were in his pocket to get him for all the other stuff that he'd done. So they just had to kind of not make something up because he obviously did evade his taxes, but I think that's the easiest way to get someone put away, isn't it? (laughs) I've,
1: I've just discovered today actually that the scar on Al Capone's face. Um, he told everyone it was a war wound, but it was actually um, the partner of a, a woman that he really kind of hounded and the boyfriend just slashed at him and, and gave him this scar and he was very self-conscious about it and used to hide it with makeup. <laughs> and um, he hated the name Scarface and if anyone had the, the audacity to ask about it, he told them that it was a war
0: wound. It's quite funny hearing that when he's so known for his scar and literally so many film gangsters have had a scar on their face to be him and yeah. all that like it just seems like he he embraced it but to hear that he actually hated it is quite funny mm-hmm. because he would hate how people remember him today <laughs> like because that's one of the main like things Um, he's remembered for because I know like a lot of stereotypical gangsters are modelled off Al Capone like the pinstripe suits the like fedora um, like even the accent and like how he kind of like his mannerisms and stuff are actually like what people think of as a gangster and especially in a lot of gangster films so It's just quite funny that he probably would have hated how he's being portrayed. Yeah.
1: There's um, Machine Gun Kelly is another delightful sounding man. And um, he... When he went to Alcatraz, he got the nickname of Pop Gun Kelly, which is those little cork guns that children had. (laughs) And um, it's because... He just, he wasn't the big scary monster that the press and the FBI had portrayed him as, or himself. He just, he kept quiet, and he kept himself to himself, and he wasn't an imposing, scary figure at all. Apparently in person, so people would call him Pop Popgun Kelly, and I imagine he hated that too
0: yeah I mean I was about to say that just really makes me think of um Bugsy Malone when they have the like whipped cream yeah. guns imagine like that's what he was like like all pretending to be all big and then literally fires the gun it's just some whipped cream like coming out that's what I'm yeah. imagining him as like I just fully what think is that it to no <laughs> I I mean I don't think I'd say any of the, these these things to face I think if, if they wanted to they could definitely have uh, uh, really not been very nice um, mm. but it's just interesting to see how like we kind of perceive them as like these cool mobsters but really all their stories are so different like there's just so many different gangsters and stuff that just have great
1: factions as well they have their own little factions and and sort of groups and families if you like within the um the
0: organized crime yeah and i guess like that's kind of i know like the mafia is like very linked to this era and stuff but it's definitely like that whole like family and you know oh i'm from new york so i'm the new york mafia and we're gonna stick together but we don't like the Chicago Mafia, like that kind of things where yeah. all that rivalry started
1: <laughs> well, the, the Valentine's Day Massacre was that sort of rivalry it was Al Capone's men allegedly although he denied any involvement um, it was allegedly his men that had pulled up in a police car with the police uniforms on and came in to where um, Bugs Moran and his gang were, and it was them that got gunned down, so it was all Al the poem, allegedly, I have to say
0: allegedly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that it was him i <laughs> I mean, from the stories that you hear about him, it's definitely it just definitely seems like the type of thing he'd do, um but obviously innocent, what is it, innocent till proven guilty? Which we can't do.
1: No.
0: <laughs> um, as he's been dead for, well, uh, at least 50, 60 years at this point. Probably, I think he died in the 40s, I'm just not sure of the date. He
1: died 47.
0: So it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's amazing that he's still such a iconic figure. Like, I'm pretty sure film came out on Netflix about him um like a few weeks ago with um Tom Hardy in um about his like final years in prison and stuff and it's just like amazing that he's managed to hold on to fame so long um when other people who were other gangsters at this time we don't really know their names. It's mostly just Al Capone that everyone knows about. There's some,
1: there's some big names linked to Al Capone over that period, but they're all almost kind of legendary now. There's so many that have gone down in history and had films made about them, and you know their legacy, like Bugsy Siegel's legacy of the, the Vegas Strip. It's just it's, it's strange to think that without Prohibition, we wouldn't have Vegas. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know you can't imagine America without it. No, no.
1: It, it's quite amazing to think that the effect, positive and negative, that Prohibition had in general.
0: Yeah, I think, like, obviously there were positives and, like, obviously the negatives were the violence is still, like, that mob gangster culture is still about today because of linking back to the thir- the 20s and the 30s is where a lot of these, like, gangs started. So, I mean, that definitely is a very big negative. Um, But, you know, there are some positives, and I just imagine the people that were campaigning for prohibition if they could see what America was like now with Vegas and like all of that I think they'd actually be horrified <laughs> like yeah. they would hate it because it's just so different to what they were imagining America to be like absolutely
1: definitely I think there's uh, we've come along way from there uh, in lots of ways.
0: yeah and I can't believe that it lasted over 10, well it lasted 13 years prohibition um, It's shocking just, isn't it? That is a long time, like even a year with the pub shut in England, people are going mad <laughs> I couldn't imagine 13 years of it um, because look, look
1: at the legacy of that you know, the small businesses going out of of, of trade and and Lots of small pubs shutting their doors for the final time. And it's it's had an effect on us for just 12 months, having the pubs shut.
0: Yeah, and also, like, I know obviously the whole country's been shut, but we are going into the biggest financial crisis since the 20s. And it's just, like, that link between, like, pubs and, like, alcohol and stuff like that. Like, it's quite interesting to think about. Back. The depression, yeah, like we are basically going into the new you know we basically nearly followed the uh twenties we've just we've just hit the depression a little bit earlier than uh than they did um but it's just like we've gone into this because like people can't go out, so then people aren't spending money, and I just imagine that's how America's crisis just built up because well, it's it's taken a year for it to happen in in britain so it's just absolutely i just and of
1: course they had it worse because they couldn't buy stuff online
0: <laughs> yep and they didn't have tvs to keep them occupied on on an evening they just <laughs> i just imagine like these people that didn't like drinking and stuff probably had very boring lives i'm not saying you have read the bible <laughs> yeah like you don't have to have a drink to have fun but the socializing aspect is what it's about and i just imagine that Hanging around a church on the evenings—it probably isn't as fun as hanging around <laughs> in a pub. I mean, that's just my opinion, though. No. Um, they would read their Bibles and
1: and have quiet reflection. and on pray. Yes, <laughs> <Guess. laughs>
0: but like they must have been so like, like they must like because obviously gambling was a sin and alcohol, and it's just like they must have had to be so careful about what they were doing. It must have just been such a, like, controlled life compared to the people, like, the gangsters just making, like, 60 million a year and living the dream. <laughs> like... Well, going back to Bugsy Siegel, um,
1: he's, he was always very brash and always went around in his very sharp suits. And, and I think he's... You're on about the the way that um, Al Capone has this definitive picture of a gangster. Well, buxy Siegel as well. He was the sharp suits and the the little sort of mustache and the fedora and yeah, smoking his little cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would have been really out
0: of place with most
1: people. Um,
0: yeah I imagine like you'd be able to spot a gangster like I know that sounds like really (laughs) stupid but I reckon like you would kind of know who was involved in the big money stuff because I think they would be dressing a lot nicer than the average American and just have a bit more like that maybe they'd have like a car and stuff like that which most average people wouldn't have and I think like at that time you would know you know if you lived maybe you know wherever you lived if you lived in New York you'd know who kind of ruled your neighborhood um because I just think it would be obvious um like I just I can't imagine that everyone else was dressing as nicely no I don't think they would have I think they
1: would have just had their um, their white shirts that were starting to yellow around the collars, and uh, yeah, the ordinary people would have just had a bit sort of peaky blinders, but not quite as nicely dressed at the very start.
0: Yeah, especially if they were quite poor, and like they just wouldn't have had as many. Like we, I think we take for granted, like how. Cheap and easy it is to get clothes now. Like I know in mm-hmm. the twenties, it was starting to get easier because you had like department stores and stuff, but it still wasn't cheap. So it's like I think I think we kind of underestimate how little clothing they'd have to rotate. It would like to look nice. I think that you know the Sunday best was still kind of a thing back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. And obviously, like, we have this image of, like, women in, like, flapper dresses and headbands and stuff. And that probably was the case in the richer areas, like, you know, the Great Gatsby and (laughs) that's what that portrays. But I think in the average speakeasy, I don't think it would have been all, like, jewels and headbands and stuff like that. I think they would have just been pretty ordinary looking. I don't think the image we have is what. It actually, was like the average person.
1: No, I think I think the average person, the average man, would have uh, a cloth cap and a, a waistcoat over a simple shirt, a collarless shirt, and he would probably be down the pit from <laughs> for twelve hours a day. And I think women would just wear simple shift dresses. They
0: wouldn't have
1: you know, fancy jewels and feathers.
0: No, I so think they
1: would have just have very simple clothes.
0: Yeah, I think we've just been like sold the uh, dream of the uh, rich people with with that one. Um, yeah, because obviously you just see it on all the gangster films, like they have nice looking girlfriends that are wearing all the the finery and stuff like that. But I just think it would be. Interesting for someone to make a film and just see it like a little bit of realism in it and see like what it actually would have been like because I think I don't know, I would just love to go back in time and just go to a speakeasy and see what it was actually like. Yeah, I don't know if I'd drink the alcohol, but <laughs> I definitely because I imagine it was probably a lot stronger. I know they washed it down a little, but I do imagine it was stronger than today. And I don't I just don't think we'd be able to cope with it.
1: <laughs> I think it would blow our mouths off.
0: Yeah. We'd just be passed out in the corner straight away. <laughs> um But yeah, I mean have you got any like interesting stories to wrap up the episode? Like anything that kind of surprised you when you were doing your research or
1: Well there was um going back to our pal Tucci, um he was an Irish American bootlegger from Chicago, and he was framed in nineteen thirty three for a faked kidnapping of a gangster called John Jake the Barber Factor. And it was Max Factor's brother, which I found really interesting. Max Factor, the makeup person.
0: Oh, and they said that he kidnapped his brother.
1: Yeah. Um, so, um, John, Jake the Barber Factor, was um, kidnapped, but it was all faked kidnapping. And uh, Roger Chuchi actually spent 26 years in jail for it. And he got out and then was murdered. By presumably our friend Al Capone again, um, allegedly, (laughs) (laughs) and um, yeah, so that really shocked me. I didn't, I hadn't heard that Max Factor's brother was was had a fake kidnapping, and I found that really interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's something they'd put on the uh, on the website like, oh, Max Factor, <laughs> some family history. No. <laughs> yeah, they probably try and keep that one a little bit, a little bit quiet. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting because it's such a like iconic brand that still exists yeah. today, and yet, and it's it's got links to gangsters. And the name Jake the Barber conjures up
1: so many images. Doesn't <gasps>
0: Yeah, I love I love that it was like a thing that like you had to have a nickname back then. Like you couldn't just be Jake. You had to be Jake the Barber. You had to have something. Yeah. I just wonder how he got that nickname.
1: Was he an actual barber? Or was it was a he... bit
0: more sinister? Yeah,
1: well they they often have um the the barbershop shoot shootouts, don't they on the, the films and and the razor, of course, the razor's used in the barber shop.
0: Yeah, maybe Could be something. Yeah, maybe he was just really good with a razor, and that's that's where it came from. But I I do like I like that nickname. <laughs> it's very into it. I wonder if his brother had a had a nickname like Max the Makeup Factor, <laughs> or just something like that, just just to define them. Um, yeah, I I do like hearing the nicknames, because some of them are ridiculous. You're just thinking, like, how did that even come about?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's some wonderful ones. Yeah, there's The Killer. One. The Killer. Owen E. Madden was The Killer. <laughs> and there was Jules Masaria was The Boss.
0: There's I, quite a few. I saw one called George Babyface Nelson. Oh, um, yes. I, I, I'm assuming he did have a baby face, which is where that did come from, but I just love that he was stuck with that nickname for the rest of his life. Like even He was if he, quite
1: young. I think he was one of
0: the younger ones. Of the, yeah. In a crowd. I mean, to be fair, I did he did get shot by the FBI at 25. So he did die young, but I just imagine like an 80-year-old man still getting called uh George Eesh. babyface and just everyone just wondering like why? The the king of uh
1: nicknames is Albert Anastasia, who has four wonderful nicknames. <laughs> he was nicknamed the Mad Hatter, Lord High Executioner, mm-hmm.
0: The One man Army, and The Earthquake. Oh, well, I mean, I think that says a lot about him. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think I'd want to mess with him. Absolutely (laughs) The Earthquake. (laughs) Oh, definitely not. Um, Yeah, I definitely think that I'd I'd like to have a gangster nickname. I don't know what it would be, (laughs) but I'd definitely want one if I was in the the 20s. just, just because. <laughs> um the, the only other like interesting story um, that I kind of saw was that Al Capone was apparently the inventor of the sell by day. Yes. Um, because one of his family members got ill from uh, drinking some milk, and he then like complained and got involved in the industry. And I just think that's just so random. <laughs>
1: It's a great one,
0: that not it? I just, like, it's just so weird. Like, I, I mean, it's just something you've never thought about, like <laughs> sell-by dates and then, like, oh, someone messed with Al Capone's family with some bad milk and now <laughs> that's why we have it. It's just something you wouldn't put together. So he did some good? <laughs> yep. You see? There we go. That's That can be his <laughs> new legacy his his uh contribution to food hygiene. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think we've covered like everything about gangsters and prohibition, to be honest with you. I think I think we've done very well and hopefully everyone has learned more about gangsters. Um and that it wasn't all just fun and games. Um so (laughs) definitely um but yeah i mean Thank thank you everyone for listening